What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Tabletop for Two podcast. I'm Brad Van Vutt. I'm Emily Van Vutt. So we're back a week late. Sorry. Blizzard and things going on Personal, in the family. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful things. So delayed us know. a little bit, but uh, such Let's, is life. We'll just say real life got in the way. Real life did get in the way. Happens so. sometimes. Indeed it does. But we're back. So we have um, lots of games to talk about because we have really put our heads down and are working through all uh, the new stuff that we have. Yeah. What, what was it up to at some at one it point? It was up to like 36, I think, and we're down to like 17. Mm-hmm. So. so we've been, we work on, now, so we have a couple shows Now, I will say because some of those were smaller box games that are like, you know, a 10, 15 minute game, but still, we've... <laughs> Cut our hist, uh, cut, cut our hist, cut, but our list. cut our list in half. And then um, later on the show, we're going to be doing a full review of Vital Lacerda's Kanban Automotive Revolution. Um, so we will check that out later on. Before we get started, just a reminder that you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Tabletop for Two for all of those. Um, you can subscribe to the show using iTunes, um, Pocket Casts, Google Play Music. May do SoundCloud here too. If it's easy, apparently it is. Okay. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what Th- happens that's, there. That's all you're doing there, sweetie. Uh, it's, been wor- it's been working pretty well for some of our other shows. So all right, sweet. Might be something we'll that's check all out you. there. So uh, yeah. So let's start with something that we've been playing a lot, a lot of, <laughs> and that is Clask. Um, so Clask is a two-player dexterity game. Um, the best way to describe it, it's like air hockey. <laughs> really, table soccer. I would liken it to. It's air hockey without the air to me. Okay. I mean, it is like soccer because you have like the little corners like mm. you do on a, on a soccer pitch. But yeah, so you, so you have this wooden board um, that sits up a little high on the table and you have uh, each player has a magnetic pawn. So basically one half of the pawn is under the board and that's where your hand is moving the pawn around. Um, the other half of the pawn sits on top of the board, uh, which strikes the ball that goes back and forth. And you're simply trying to just hit the ball and knock it into your opponent's goal, except it's not quite that simple. Oh, speaking of, I want to order some games from them later. Okay. <laughs> so um, it's not quite as simple as that, though, because also on the field of play in the center, there are three small magnets that sit face up, which kind of act as <laughs> obstacles. Um, and you can also use them to your advantage because if you get too close they'll magnetically attach, attach to your pawn and if you get two of them attached to your pawn then your opponent basically scores a point like it ends the point and that there but you can also we intentionally launch them at each other we hit the ball into them to launch them at one another well, that's part of the strategy that's that's legitimate um the other way that your opponent can earn points besides the other way you can earn points besides just simply scoring goals is if you're if your pawn because the goals are little inset circles that are cut into the board um, so if your pawn drifts backwards and it falls into your goal and it um, goes class, yeah, and it, make, and it makes the class sound the rules even say that, yeah, then your opponent will score a point as well. So you have to be cognizant of where your pawn's moving and you can also score a point by um, if you lose control of your pawn. So like Emily likes to move her pawn really fast sometimes and the magnets will break up and then yeah, it'll, it'll just go spinning basically on the yeah. board. So this, so the game is super simple to play. We have not had so much fun and laughed so much playing a game in a long time. I swear, it's it's easily because um, like we talked about tumbling dice and we really like tumbling dice, um, but this is completely taken over um, 
our, our gaming table quite a bit in the past couple of days. Especially because we haven't really had a lot of time in the past week or so to devote to gaming. So mm-hmm. it was like, well, we can get in a couple quick, old, a couple quick games of this. So, yeah. yeah. It's really fun. Um, it's it's funny, too, because like in air hockey, I would say it's more, um, you know, like 70% power and 30% finesse. This is the complete opposite because you don't want to hit the ball too hard because to get yeah, it to go into it the goal. it lips out all the time. Lips out. And yeah, to get to go in, to go in the goal, it's got to have a little bit of finer touch. Plus, you're also trying to knock the the small magnets around the board as well. So something that's really this, fun to do. Yeah, this yeah. guy here had me cornered. He put one magnet into one corner. He put one magnet into the other corner, and then he kept knocking the ball over there. So I get one yeah. attached to me, and I'm really trying to dodge the other one. And I wasn't even trying and to then score. I, en- I was just dumping the ball in the corner and, then and making I, her go get it. Yeah, and then I ended up <laughs> clasking myself. So. Yep. So, and, and I just, I like that added little bit of strategy. Like I said, it's not simply just try to get the ball into the goal. It's, well, you can try to maybe knock some magnets to your opponent. Um, You can try to frantically make them defend and, and fall into their goal. So more more strategic than most dexterity games like this mm-hmm. this is a lot of fun though this this is available exclusively for through um marbles the brain store mm-hmm. i think it's called um which is like a store that has all sorts of like brain teaser games and and stuff like that which i love yeah and it's and and if you like i said two players if you like dexterity games like this highly 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 recommend Clask. Um, we are playing it nonstop, and it's only sixty bucks for for the amount of stuff. Yeah, it's like a, it's a pretty nice. It's, it's board. a nice, it's pretty nice set. So yeah, like it's nice solid wood, and it's it's kind of awesome. We've talked about they they have a thing. They don't sell it here, but they have a like a mount so you can mount it on the wall and hang it up when you're not playing. We're trying to devise our own plan to come up with a way to hang it on the wall. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm serious though when I say I cannot recommend Clask enough. Give it a look. Um, and check it out, Lacey. It's it's a tremendous amount. It's of fun. actually. W- didn't you say it started as like a Danish pub game? Yeah, it was it was it was created by one guy in Denmark um, who fashioned them himself, basically, and it it caught on over there in like bub- in bars and pubs and stuff like that. And I think this guy was like like at one point was just hand making all of them and then mm-hmm. selling them to to these bars and stuff like that. And then I guess somebody cool. found it and uh, and it's picked awesome. it up. So yeah, very very cool class. Check it out. Highly recommend. Won't be disappointed, I promise. Yep. Uh, next on the list is one that we looked at whilst it was on Kickstarter, but I said no. Wait, we did? What game are you talking about? Spectre Ops. It was never on Kickstarter. I thought it was. No, no, no. Flat Hat doesn't do Kickstarters. I thought you did this one on Kickstarter. Mm-mm. Then where did you get the videos from? You were showing me video. I swear you were showing me oh, Kickstarter no, Flat, videos. Flat Hat just puts up videos for their games. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought, <laughs> like whenever you show me a video, I always assume it's a Kickstarter. No, no, no. They just, like, they do like trailers for okay. their games. Kinda. Well, in any case, Specter Ops was the next one we played. He when he showed me this initially, I wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, he got this in a sale of some sort. I think after Christmas, something like that. Yeah, I I had wanted this one for a while because I'd heard it compared favorably to Metal Gear Solid. Um, just in terms of kind of how the gameplay is, I'm a huge Metal Gear Solid fan, so of course that piqued my interest right away. Um, we've we had tried other hidden movement games. Mr. Jack, we like, but don't find ourselves playing that often. It doesn't scratch the itch, right? Um, Letters of White Chapel, we've only played once and we enjoyed it, but we also haven't gotten it back to the table since we played it the one time. So. Maybe we didn't enjoy it as much as we thought we did. I don't know. Yeah. Well, this one I really enjoyed. I was actually, um, what was I? You were the agent. You were you were the the, I was hidden the bad player. guy. Yeah. Well, no. Uh, well, it depends on your perspective. 
I thought I was the bad guy because I had to come in, steal the stuff, and go. But you, but that's what usually the good guys in those games have to do that stuff. Oh, well, so. in any case, I was the hidden mover, and I and I was the hunters. I, I had two hunters trying to track. This her one down. had me shaking in my boots. I got to tell you. Well, that's it's so you were. I remember you were not too terribly keen on this when you first saw it. You it didn't. It didn't, it didn't jive with you. no. Yeah. It didn't jive with me for whatever anyway, reason. So then, I so I purposefully wanted to make her play the hidden character because when we played Whitechapel, um, I was the, the you were Jack the you were Jack character. the Ripper, yeah. And I think these games are more. I think it's more fun to be the hidden character trying to deceive the other person and mess them around. Um, but yeah, you so and so for Emily's credit, she didn't show her nervousness while i was apparently closing it on her he was and he didn't even realize it and then all of a sudden he's like i was like dag nabbit you found me and then i'm like all right how can i get away from here i said i think the one turn i took like five minutes trying to figure out Mm. where i was going to move next because i was like what can i do to (laughs) get further away from him yeah where this where this one's interesting is that there's actually different characters in the game that you can use each character has special abilities and there's also um different like items that the agent has and there's that they a can vehicle use the game. and stuff yeah, like that the that hunters too. can use to move around the board quickly um pretty basic though from a rule standpoint like there really isn't much in the way of rules outside of the special item cards which are you know a case-by-case basis kind of sort of thing but really it's just the agent moves in secret and the hunter moves them around trying to track them down um if they if when the agent ends their turn, or sorry, when a hunter ends their turn, if the agent's in their line of sight, then they have to show where they are on the board, and the hunter will try and attack them. Um, the agent has like four hit points. Um, if they lose all their hit points, they lose. Um, but if they can steal three of the four pieces of, I guess, like reconnaissance they're trying to get and Intel. then escape the board, um, then they win. Um, Emily won. Uh, I only I only got one hit on her, I think, in the entire game, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So... But yeah, Spectre Ops is pretty good. Um, it plays well with two, but I can see in this one where it might be more fun to have another person um, as as the as the hunter to try to team up with. I guess you could say. Um, right. But it was it worked just fine with two players. Like it, you know, controlling two hunters and you know just coordinating them together wasn't that big of a deal. Though with the size of the board the way it is, um, only using two hunters is hard it's very difficult to mm-hmm. do um because there's the board is humongous and it doesn't change based on the number of hunters that there are it's just that's the size of the board um so maybe next time we play i might try to use three hunters um just to make it a more even fight i guess okay something we'll check out so that wasn't the only hidden movement game that we've gotten recently that we've been anxious to check out i really took a shine to the third edition of fury of dracula from all of the previews that we saw for it and i picked that up recently and we finally got a chance to get it to the table i knew it was gonna be tougher because fury of Dracula is a little bit longer um this one is a game where one player is controlling dracula wasn't this a blizzard day game it was yeah this was this was what we played while we were snowed in with the uh the recent east coast blizzard that just hit yeah um all 30 inches of it (laughs) so one player is dracula moving around um europe in secret the other player or players is controlling a combination of four hunt uh, four different vampire hunters um and they're and this is based on bram stoker's dracula so you have like von helsing and that's how he hooked yeah, me because i am a huge fan of dracula yep 
So and um and as you go through, um the hunters are gonna take their turns. They they take a day and night turn. Um usually it's moving around the board, getting different items, um also collecting event cards, but you have to be careful when you do the events at night because at night there's an event deck that also has some Dracula cards mm-hmm. mixed in as well. Um at night you actually draw off the bottom of the deck, so you don't know what you're gonna draw. Um when you do that there. Uh, and then Dracula gets to take his turn once all the hunters have gone. And Dracula is going to move to a new location on the board and also lay out some sort of encounter at that location as well. So that as the hunters um, find where Dracula has been, um, he, he might ambush them with like a trap of some kind or maybe a new vampire that he's made. But if you can't find Dracula, eventually the, the lo- different locations move along a track on the board. And eventually, um, that track will fill up and the oldest location will fall off the board. And also, if there's an encounter card on that space, then there's usually a added bonus effect that Dracula gets to take advantage of. A matured of. effect. That's yeah, what, that's it's what they call it. Um, that usually involves him adding his influence to Europe. That's what Dracula's trying to do to win. You're trying to add, um, get your influence level to 13. 13. Um, to win the game, the hunters are trying to track down Dracula and kill him. And the other cool thing about this, so like Inspector Ops, just as a point of comparison, when the hunters find the agent, all they literally do is say, okay, I get to attack you, um, you roll a die, and if the roll matches, then you do one hit point of damage, that's it. In Fury of Dracula, Dracula can actually fight back. There's a full-fledged combat that happens between the the Dracula and the hunter or hunters that are at his current location, if you can kind of corner him and track him down and you're basically trying to deal as much damage to Dracula as you can before either the combat ends because it's gone a certain number of rounds or Dracula can also play cards to escape from the combat as well and and Dracula doesn't want to avoid combat either at some point because one of the ways that he can one of the main ways he can gather influence across the land is by actually um not killing but but wounding and defeating the the different hunter characters um in in combats and stuff like that. So I wasn't sure how this one was going to go um, with Emily. Uh, because this is basically like letters letters from Whitechapel, but kind of on steroids. Kind of, sort of. Um, I loved it. So why? Well, like I said, I think it was more fun for me because I was Dracula first. So like the whole aspect of trying to hide from you and setting traps for you was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And yeah, I just that I actually I really enjoyed the combat. Like when we actually got into it with one another, because mm-hmm. it's very cool. Well, like you com- actually the, have the combat deck. Yeah, the combat's actually sort of a um, like a not a bluffing game so much, but you're trying to anticipate what the other player is going to do because these combat cards have different symbols on them. And as the hunter, if you play a card that has the same symbol as the card that Dracula plays, then you actually get to negate his combat effect for that round and usually get to deal him damage of some kind Mm -hmm. as well so you have to um so it's very very interesting in that regard and dracula look emily beat me because she was able to take out two of my characters yeah essentially so i had a tough time i did i did get dracula down to like one i i won the game and dracula had one health left technically he didn't because i think you killed me before i dealt you 
Are you sure? Those last couple of damage, yeah. Oh. But still, I mean, it, it was it was a fight was to close. get you wounded down enough of the way. So yeah. Well, I think <clears throat> what helped my cause is I had a couple of the encounter cards, and when they went off the end of the board, like I had the one that had the matured effect of um, reveal the location under this card and then gain four influence. That helped out mm. a lot. <laughs> no, but it's but it's funny because so like the way it works is at Dracula's uh, track of locations can have up to six locations on it at a time and basically it's it's the last six places that he's visited um in turn order because like i said you add one to the line every time so it's funny because if you walk into a city that dracula had visited previously and that location's on the track then dracula has to reveal it so then like you're trying to sit there and look at the board and try to calculate like where he's gone this one was (laughs) in here he's like He's like, Frankfurt, I know you're in Frankfurt. I was nowhere near Frankfurt, but he was convinced that I was in Frankfurt. It was hilarious. Yeah, because you're trying to use the 400s in, to kind of corner him, essentially, or or force him out the sea because Dracula doesn't want to be out the sea, ideally, even though the you moving in the ocean is a way to get around a little bit quicker. Um, but he also takes damage when he's at sea. Dracula does, yeah. yeah. So you got to be careful there. See, if Fury Dracula is great, um, if my only critique with two players is that one player has to control all four hunters, which can be a little not difficult to do, but just a very time consuming time consuming. And you have to keep like checking and see what cards each of them has and stuff like that. So it's it's not ideal how to do it, but I mean, it works just fine. Mm-hmm. It's it's it works totally OK and actually kind of makes it harder for Dracula, because when you're playing with less than um, when you're playing with the whole contingent, like if you have five players and each player has a hunter. Then when you share certain bits of information between your hunters, you also have to share it with Dracula. Whereas obviously if one player is controlling all four, you don't have to divulge any of that information, that kind of stuff, because you know what everybody knows essentially mm-hmm. as you go. But this game was great. Um, it's a little bit on the lengthy side. Um, so we won't get to play it as often as we might like to, but I, I know That's for the sure. after bedtime game. Right. I know for sure that this is one that we'll be seeing the table again. Um, Fury of Dracula, third edition. Excellent game. Definitely check it out if, you, if you're interested in playing like a higher level hidden movement game. Mm-hmm. Um, next on the magic list is Raptor, which when this guy showed me this game, I said I want it for my birthday, but then I couldn't wait for my birthday. So I made him buy it for me a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this is a two player specific game and it was designed, I think, by Bruno Cathala and Bruno Fiduti together. Um, where one player is controlling a velociraptor and a her mama babies. Raptor. Yep, and her babies. And the other player is controlling a bunch of hunters trying to either Jerks. capture or... Jerks yeah, is what they are. Yeah, capture the raptor or capture a number for babies. That's what they're trying to do. The mama raptor is trying to either get her babies off the board a certain number or just kill all the hunters and, and do it that way. Uh, the way the way the gameplay works is actually somewhat interesting because you, each player has a deck of nine cards, um, and each of the card is are numbered one through nine, and each of them also has a special action associated with the card as well. So you draw a hand of three on your turn. You're going to take one of your cards and play it face down, and then both players will reveal them at the same time. The player that played the lower number card gets to do the special action that's on that card. So for the for the hunter characters, it might be they get to jump in their Jeep and and you know ride across the map in a hurry. Um, it might be they might put some fires on the map that will help box the raptor in and block her from being able to move around. Uh, they might try to like put one of the raptors or baby raptors to sleep. All sorts of different things they can do. The play and the raptor might um 
what is it like? They, she can hide in the in the jungle, and so basically the raptor can move off the board, and then the hunters take their turn, and then the raptor moves back onto the board wherever she wants to. And then she um, goes Yep. Yeah. Um, you can put out fires, the raptor. You can move your babies around, and so on and so forth. Um, but the player who played the higher number card takes the the two numbers that the players played, um, and then the difference between the two is how many action points they have that they can spend on use action points to move characters around one space or to you know the mom rapper can also use her action points to move her babies as well or stand them up if they're asleep mm-hmm. or can she use one like to do a tail whap on fires and, yeah yeah stuff like that and then and then you play the card into a discard pile so that your opponent will eventually start to know okay, you know, you only have these cards available to you, so I can play this one if I'm trying to do this certain thing. So again, it's trying to outwit, outthink your opponent, um, you know, use your cards optimally to make the be- to take the best advantage of what you're trying to do. So what did you think about this one? I know you were excited to get it into your hands. Um, I liked it. Like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing it more. I feel like I didn't quite do so well the first time out. No, but I definitely. I had, how did I beat you? I did. Did I beat you, you by? You captured three of my babies. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was the mama raptor. Shocker. Yeah, it's um. I can see it. Like we've only played it once, and and I didn't get to play the raptor side, but I can see it being a little bit more difficult from the raptor side. Mm-hmm. I guess very much. Yeah. Um. The hunters because they have greater numbers basically, and because the baby raptors really can't do anything except for run around right whereas the hunters all can you know you can use the hunters in combination with each other to kind of box in the raptors so because because each individual hunter on the board can only do what they call one aggressive action per turn if you're using action points so like to the best way to capture a baby is to use one hunter to fire like a sleeping dart at them and then use another hunter that's nearby to move in and capture them in the same turn um, so you get you have a little bit more options there. I guess the mom raptor, the you know strategy to use would be to try to kill some of the hunters. Then I to did. try and thin their ranks. I killed one or two of them. It so, was not nearly enough. So be yeah, it. Raptor solid. Um, kind of falls into the power filler category for us because yeah. you can play a game in about half an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's solid little two player back and forth. I, I'll be interested to see how our opinion. I love the little raptors. I think they're adorable. Yeah, they have these little raptor miniatures. The the hunter miniatures are kind of lame. They kind of look like the explorers from um, La Isla. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I was that thinking that's funny. I thought the same exact thing. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but the raptors are pretty cool. So the, that's raptor. Um, give that a look. See uh, when it becomes available. It's kind of hard to find right now. For whatever reason so we found it at our friendly local game store mm-hmm. so uh next up is one of our i don't know if i'd go as far to call this a grail game but i've had my eye on notre dame for a while uh just because it is one of stefan feld's uh more popular titles everyone i i've hear talk about this game talks about how much they enjoy it and if you guys have listened to our show for any length of time you know we love our feld games we do so i felt <laughs> compelled to get this uh pick this up i think in a math trade a few months ago i think so yeah. took us a while to get it to the table um notre dame is a game that has you drafting action cards um and then you get to perform a couple actions on your turn uh, this is usually done to either gain influence, which you can then, which is what you have to spread out on the board to do different actions. And the different actions will get you money or victory points or 
um, help decrease the rat plague in your part of in your part of France um, because that's kind of an obstacle that you're fighting against the entire game. Uh, the other main thing you could do that you want to try to make sure you do is you can also donate money to the Notre Dame Cathedral, uh, which will earn you points at the end of each of the game's uh, three phases, basically. Um, and then after the action rounds are over, uh, you are going to also have the chance to hire a person in town that will essentially give you like a bonus action that you can do. Um, but where this is interesting is that each player has a deck of action cards. Um, they have one card for each of the different actions that you can do in the game. And each round, you're going to draft a hand of three of them. And you're going to take one, or you're going to, you're going to draw a hand of three rather. And you're going to select one of the action cards and then pass it to, pass the rest to your opponent. And then they'll select an action card from there and it gets passed again. Um, but you only, the catch is you only get to actually use two of those cards each round. So you have to try to make sure that, uh, that you plan ahead, uh, for what you're going to do. So lots of different, basically just a lot of different action selection stuff. Um, the two player one kind of plays like the four player version, uh, just because there's more burrows on the boards because they have these messenger things that you can do to earn victory points as well. Um, what did you think of Notre Dame? Um, I liked it. I'm looking forward to getting it to the table again. Mm -hmm. It was actually quite a bit of fun. It played really quickly. Like it, I think it, it's probably for, for like I thought it was going to be a lot longer of a game than mm -hmm. it actually was. Yeah, because I feel like we went through it like crazy fast. It's really light too. Like like to me, this I'm trying to think of. So like, ca Castles of Burgundy. Castles of Burgundy the is more. One. It's more involved than this one. Yeah, I think. like like Notre Dame almost feels like the. Is it? Would you say it's lighter than La Isla? Nah. No. Okay. Yeah, I, I I kind of equate those two in terms of heaviness. I was I definitely wasn't expecting it to be as fast and as light as it was. I was expecting a little bit more heaviness from the game. I like that you can actually do it. I mean, like you're kind of limited in your turns with what you mm -hmm. do, but I felt like I could do a lot. Right. Even with the limitedness, you know what I mean, if that makes yeah. sense. Um the only thing I didn't like about the two player version though is that the the effectiveness of the Notre Dame action, I think, is diminished. Yeah. Because, like, I, I don't think we had any round where each of us didn't have just one cube in Notre Dame. Because it's really difficult to get cubes into the cathedral. Because, remember, that you know, that's one of the action cards that you can do. And you only get... There's only two of those to go around in the game. So it's it's really easy. Like, if your opponent gets one of their influence cubes into the cathedral you want to make a note that when next time you see that card that you make sure that you take it so that you can deny them the full, oh, yeah. the full bonus points from that. So I think that's the only thing I didn't care for with the two player game. Um, the rest of it was fine. I did enjoy the, the rat track, um, which is kind of a negative effect that you really do have to. I enjoyed the art on the board. To. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It looked very burgundy ish to me, <laughs> which is meh. So I didn't think so. Yeah. I thought this had a little more, uh, personality to it. Fair enough. So, yeah, Notre Dame is solid. Um, I, if you play primarily two players, especially considering how hard it is to find the game, just because it is, it is, it's been out of print in English for a while. I don't say it's a must-have for a Feld catalog, but it's a solid one to have. I would say that if you play with more players, it seems like it would be um a more fun game so maybe if you play three or four a lot it might be one that you want to seek out for sure but yeah two players it's fine it's it's definitely not the best i'd kind of put it right in the middle of the pack just based on our limited experience with it among feld games 
Um, the next one up, another really heavy game that I've had for a little bit that I've been looking forward to getting to the table. Um, a cooperative game. This is Robinson Crusoe and the Adventure on the Cursed Island. Um, this is the famous co-op from Ignacy Trevichek, uh, which is known for being ridiculously difficult. Wait, wait. Let's see if I'm learning things here. Uh-huh. He did Imperial Settlers? He did, yes. yes. Yes, and he also see. Look, I'm learning by osmosis there you here. Go. Are you proud? So I'm. I am very proud. <laughs> so you're learning names. That's yes. always the difficult thing for you. I talk. It is. I drop. I drop like. He'll sit there and say, names, "Oh well, did this and did this," and I'm like, "Who?" And then he'll start naming games. Oh, okay, I get that. Yeah. So this one, um, there's six different scenarios in the box. We obviously just started with the first scenario, but basically, um, you have you and the other players are stranded on, you know, the Robinson Crusoe Island, and you are have a specific objective to do. We're Tom Hanks and Wilson. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't see any volleyballs in this game, thankfully. Um, but yeah, for the first scenario, you're trying to um find enough wood that you can light a giant fire so um, that they so can come rescue, rescue you. you. Right. Um, but as you go, as you're trying to complete this objective, you're also fighting all of the elements that are on the board, including the weather and including beasts, beasts in the jungle and including misadventures that you might go on. Es- essentially. I enjoyed hunting the beasts. Yeah. It's, it, it feels like it's, it's very similar to ghost stories in that, Bad things happen all the time, and mm-hmm. you're just trying to mitigate the badness the entire time. Well, and as like you go along. after the first couple rounds, then you have to roll like one weather die, and then like for the last four or five rounds, you have to roll three different weather die, mm-hmm. and it's like I'm like, oh my god, yeah. And then as it, got, you, it went from bad to worse real quick, and and the, it's got an action selection mechanic where each player has two of their pawns, and then when you play two players, you also have Friday available to you as well. Um, that you can use to do different actions on the board. You might need to build something like a weapon or an invention of some kind or shelter so that you can survive the elements. Um, or you might go gather resources. Or what was the third thing? Explore. Oh, you can explore more of the island, yeah, so that you can you know find different places. So if you dedicate two people to this task, then you will instant you will definitely succeed in them. But you have one less person to do other stuff, so it makes the amount of stuff that you can do in your turn smaller. If you only dedicate one person to the task, you actually have to roll a couple of dice. And the dice are going to dictate a few things. For number one, it'll dictate whether or not you're successful in completing the task, because you know nothing's worse than going out to build a shelter for your, for your island and then completely failing at it. That's never fun. Um, the second thing um, that it will determine is whether you got injured while you were completing the task or not. And the third thing that it determines is whether or not you go on an adventure of some kind. And then the adventure cards usually are cards that say, hey, here's an adventure that happens. You can either take this reward, but then shuffle in the adventure card into your event deck, which means bad crap will happen to you later. Or you can forego the reward and not have to worry about the potential, you know, misfortune that might befall you later on in the game and you have to decide is it worth taking the risk or 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 do we not want to mess with this at all also it's really hard to not read the bottom of the card to see what the bad stuff is yeah i mean you you can read if you want i think it's much more thematic to 
to not do it and just, and just to make your choice. It's like Dead of Winter. I don't like reading the results in Dead of Winter before you decide how you want to do the crossroads mm-hmm. stuff that they have. So then every turn, a special event will happen, and the events are typically awful. Um, that, that'll be either, <laughs> like you putting know, it lightly. Yeah, maybe some morale in your you know among your group will decline, which you know which you know hurts you there. Um, you have you can fight these events. They're they're called threats at this point now. Um, you can fight against them, and and hopefully nothing bad will happen later. But if you let them go too long, then eventually they'll have a negative effect on your party. And really, you're just trying to hang on for dear life. We barely survived um, in the first game that we played. We were we were going to very much die quickly in the very next round. Yeah, if we didn't, but we just got get our last wood. bit of wood on yeah. the pile, and that was that. So, um, so Robinson Crusoe has a. It's tough. Or it's it's got a reputation for being ridiculously tough. And remember, that was just the first scenario that we played. And I'm pretty sure they get progressively harder as oh, you go Lord along. Help us, but what did you think about the gameplay itself? Um, well, it was fun. Mm. Like I said, the the uh dice chucking, I always like some dice chucking. Um, I don't know that I necessarily liked it determining my fate. You mm. know what I mean? Because, you know, I'm not big on, like, luck-driven Well, I mean, on the plus stuff. side, whenever you do fail a task, they at least give you, um, they, they're they called determination tokens that usually each of your characters has special abilities that you can use the, each round of the game that usually require you to spend these tokens to use them. So it's not a complete loss if you, if you can't do something. Like, if it's something that you really, that you want to make sure gets done, you just dedicate two people to it. I'll tell you what sure. killed me is when we had to make the decisions when it's like, you have to take two items off the board. Mm-hmm. So we're sitting there trying to figure out, okay, we can get, we can stand to lose this item and we can stand to lose this one. And then later in the game, it's like, well, crap. Now mm-hmm. I can't build this because I got rid of this. And ugh. I mean, the, the thing that I liked about it is that you want to do lots of stuff, but obviously you don't have a lot of time to do everything. So you have to decide, like, is it more important to upgrade the roof on our shelter or, or should we food. go or should we get food <laughs> so we don't starve to death? Like it's you have to kind of. Oh, that's the thing that things. sucks is because like the food, if you get a bunch of food, it's only you only have to eat one for each person. Mm-hmm. And if you have leftover food, then it just goes away. Yeah, unless you I get the that. non-perishable food, which is hard which to is find. Which is hard as crap hard to, to get. Find. So I, I like Robinson Crusoe a lot. Um, it is definitely a little bit more involved than some other survival co-ops like Ghost Stories, for example, or, you know. We need to play that, Stuff too. like that. We do. I don't know why I haven't been compelled to play Ghost Stories a lot for some reason. Same reason that all of a sudden now you want to play Puzzle Strike when I've been asking to play it for over a month. <laughs> so let's not go too far in the tangent there. But yeah, anyway. Robinson Crusoe was pretty good. Um, I, the length of play might restrict us a little bit with this one because well, how long did it take us to play that first game? Two and a half hours. Was it really? Yeah. That was the first time though. So a lot of rules. Luckily our son took a like three and a half hour nap yeah. <laughs> that day. So, <sighs> I mean, I, I would expect it to go quicker next time because I'm not going to have to reference the rule book as often as I did Yeah. this first play. Either that I'll find some, some good reference sheets. I'm sure there are some on BGG. Yeah. We'll f- print them out and laminate them. Yeah. So um yeah recommend this if you're looking for a if you want a, a game solid, that's like, gonna kick your booty well yeah kick your butt a, a good lot good good narrative in the game though like i said like a lot of events that happen um some of them are funny mm-hmm. <laughs> so solid one uh last but not least on the list we actually played the uh role for the galaxy ambition expansion i 
wish we played this game more than we did. Like, I kind of forgot how much I liked it because it had been a couple of months since we had played it last. Um, yeah. And then we well, got. And the last time we played, didn't we play it with four? We did. We Which did. Was yeah, fun. we've been playing this for with a larger group. Um, but yeah, Roll for the Galaxy. Uh, I don't know if we've talked about it on the show or not before. It's a it's the dice version of Race for the Galaxy, essentially. Where Which we were not fans of Race for the Galaxy at all. It was just it was too much to process for well for me anyway. I don't know about you, but for I, me, well, it's just I mean the, the thing, iconography there was just way way way. I too know we've much. talked about race on the show before and why we didn't like it yet because the iconography like you're constantly having to look. At like a reference guide all the time. Like every time you look at it, you pick up a card. Yeah, I couldn't keep anything straight in that yeah. game. So the roll, um, I think, has much better flow. Uh, it's uh, more intuitive. Um, I enjoy rolling dice, so that's always fun, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ambition expansion adds quite a few things to the original game of roll. Uh, first thing it adds is you get a a black home worker die, um, which is, runs contrast to your regular white dice that you start the game with. Um, but the reason why the black die is cool is because it has some sides that has multiple symbols on them so that when you roll them, you can decide which of those two actions you'd like to dedicate that die to. Uh, it also has a couple sides that have a dollar sign symbol on it, which means that once you use that die, um, you get to actually put it right back into your dice cup to use again the next round instead of having to buy it out of your your pool of citizens, um, which is your used dice that you have at the end of the round. Uh, there is orange dice now, which I don't think we got to use in our one play like I we got just never one. oh you did okay i, I didn't know if one. you had a planet that did it i did um and the orange no i got one because my planet's like once you settle this planet you get this die right 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 um so yeah the aren't the orange dice are just another type of die that have different symbols um that i think geared more towards commerce than i think so than other the other dice do um the the big thing that the game has is it, it i think they added like I want to see 10 more home planets and then like nine more starting technology tiles to the game so that you have like you're never going to get the same home planet and starting technology combination ever. I don't think because of all the the different uh, options that you have ahead of you now when you play the game, which is pretty cool. Um, There's a couple a handful of new tiles added to the, the tile bag. I think probably just have the orange. Um, the orange dice that you can earn with those. And the other thing it adds is um, these achievement tiles that you lay out. You lay out six at the beginning of the game. And then when the first player to do them, like, achieves one of the tiles, you flip it over, and then you get a certain number of these um, of these tokens. And the tokens are a wild dice on one side and they're a point on the other. So if you keep them till the game ends, you earn a point for each one, but you can also spend them during the game um, as wild dice that you can make one of your actions better and boost it up a little bit. Um, just give you a couple of choices there. So all in all, um, the expansion is pretty good. I, I think the addition of the different home worlds um, and the different technologies is what makes this a good one to have. Um, I do like the black starting dice as well. Um, the new tiles, look, you're putting five tiles into a bag of 50. That's not going to have a huge impact on gameplay, I don't think. Um, the achievement system. Take, I don't remember even getting any of those. I don't think you did. I think I was the only one that actually earned any of the achievements. You could take it or leave it. Um, the achievements have very specific things that you have to do, and some of them are really difficult. And I guess they're there to kind of give you a direction to head in. But I feel like that your starting planets and the tiles that you draw throughout the game do that anyway. So I don't know that you need anything else to 
to really steer you any more in that direction than you already might be considering going in the first place. Um, so what did you think about all the different modules in there as well? I mean, it was cool, but then again, I don't feel like we've exhausted the base game Mm -hmm. either. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, this, so I guess with the expansion, um, it's not one that I guess you need to, you should feel compelled to absolutely run out and get. Right. Um, I mean, it's it's really good for the home planets. The the home planet, the starting stuff, makes it cool. But yeah, everything else is kind of okay. Like it's it's fine. Um, and if you really like Roll for the Galaxy, you're gonna want it. It's a little pricey though. Like I think it's forty bucks retail for that for that expansion box, or maybe thirty five, something like that. Um, if you're into it, get it. If you don't feel like you need the other stuff besides the the home planet and tectiles probably a pass maybe wait to see what the next expansion is going to be that comes out for it so roll for the galaxy ambition um it's fine but not at all necessary i wouldn't say hmm. so um so that was quite a bit of games that we've been playing so that's uh that's it for that this week we're going to take a short break when we come back our review of kanban automotive revolution so stay tuned here in my car i feel safest of all i can lock on my doors it's the only way to live Welcome back. So time for another review. Uh, it's a two-player review of Kanban Automotive Revolution. Um, this is a game designed by Vitalis Serda, who we've talked about on the show before, one of our favorite designers. Um, it was published in the U.S. by Stronghold Games. This is a game that has you uh, basically r- working in a car manufacturing plant um, and running around doing supervising different tasks uh, each day. Uh, trying to maximize uh, the efficiency of the different car designs and trying and to test out stuff. And yeah, man, please your boss who, uh, who may be happy or sad uh, or not happy or sad, angry or, or nice happy. or mean. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> it's, 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 there's a nice side of the board and there's a mean side of the board. So, uh, so let's get into a brief description of the gameplay. So con- it's, it's going to be somewhat tough to, to describe this because Kanban is a very complex game. Um, especially when first learning it, um, takes a while to set up too. It does, um, but it's it's a game that once you've actually played a couple times, you won't be too uh, too flummoxed by it. I don't think going forward. So, <laughs> essentially, hey, I'm that out some out SAT words. Hey, no, I I use flummox seldomly in conversation. Um, so, <laughs> basically, the board here um, is made up of five different departments on the board um and each of the departments has very specific actions that you can do in them i'm going to run those down very briefly as we go i'll start with the design department um which allows you to get different car blueprints um all of the blueprints corresponds to one of the five different types of cars that are in the game and those cars are separated by the color that they're identified with um and then most of them also have a icon depicting one of the six different types of car parts in the game that you can upgrade. So when you have one of your worker and, and the way the action spaces work is you take your single worker that you have, um, you put them on one of the two 
spaces uh, that are available in each of the different departments. And what space you put them on determines whether or not you'll have two actions to use or three actions to use. In this game, they call them shifts, basically. Um, that you and can it's spend, on a little clock. Right, that you can spend to do stuff in the department. So in the design department, um, you are basically drafting these blueprints and adding them to your little player area that you have. Um, the number of them that you can draft varies based on how many shifts you have in the department, basically. Um, in each department, too, I should mention... You know, uh, how much certification you have in the department. Mm-hmm. It's not how many shifts you have in the department, it's your certification level. No, no, no. The The number of blueprints you can grab is based on the number of shifts that you decide to use there. No, but I'm saying you can get more after you certify to you, a You have level. a choice of more See, that's to, what I to thought pick you, from. That's what I yeah, thought yeah. you meant. No, no, no. So, and I should mention, too, that every department has, like, a training track that you can also spend your shifts training in that department. Um, when you move halfway up the track, you become certified in that department, which usually unlocks either a bonus action or some sort of other benefit. But, uh, most of the time, it unlocks an extra spot on your uh, mm. player board. Right. Um, and then the, if you manage to move all the way up the track, uh, it'll give you a bonus of some kind um, and also an extra seat for meetings. More on those later. Um, and also at the end of the game, each track is given points are given out based on each player's relative position on each of these training tracks. Um, so, again, design department, you're getting blueprints for your cars um, in the. In the testing and innovation department, this is where you actually are using those designs um, to upgrade components or parts on the different cars. So basically you can spend your blueprints and you can spend a car part of the same type um, to upgrade that part on that specific car. Uh, This matters because any cars that you have in your garage at the end of the game, you're going to get points for every part that you yourself upgraded throughout the game. Um, You also make it harder for cars to get assembled by upgrading parts on those cars. Um, In this department, you can also actually get cars into your garage. So as cars are pushed off the assembly line, um, they go onto the test track, and you can spend your shifts to take the cars off the test track and put them into your garage so that you can you can work on them. Um, the assembly department is next, as you would expect. This is where cars are manufactured and pushed off of an assembly line um, to go into the testing area. Um, there's a bonus also in this department for there's a, some cars that are in demand, and if you manage to get make it so that those cars get manufactured, you'll get bonus you'll get bonus seats for the meetings later as well. Um, the third, the fourth department is the parts department. This is where you can get the different car parts. And like I said, there are six of those. Um, you know, you have brakes and tires and, you know, chassis and I'm things like that. Right well, I'm not going to look at the whole thing, but, but that's he has where you, the rule book in front of him that tells him what all these things I'm just are. Remembering he's the different just not paying attention. Um, but this is where you can acquire those parts and you, and you can also use actions in this area to restock the parts warehouse as well. And then the final department is administration. Uh, this is sort of like a wild card department where you can actually work in any other department um, that you want to. And this is this is basically there's a safety valve in case all of the action spots in the department that you need to work in that turn are kind of blocked off. Um, so basically, you're going to be moving around um, department to department. 
each turn and doing different actions. And and they all kind of flow together because you have to get blueprints before you can upgrade parts or before you can take cars off of the testing track. But before you can take cars off the testing track, you have to manufacture them first. So you have to visit the assembly line. But you can't manufacture the cars unless you have parts to put in them. So you have to go to the parts department. And so and so it kind of like cycles round and round as you go. Um and every you always this is a game where you you have to have to think several turns ahead mm-hmm. as you go because you have to kind of have a plan and it's another one of those games too where if another player puts their worker in a spot that you really need to go to it can completely screw up the plans that you have working at that point i seem to always do that to him mm-hmm. so while you're doing all this your boss is also going to be moving around from department to department as well now like emily mentioned earlier you can. There's two variants you can play with with this. You can play with the nice boss, and the boss's name is Sandra, by the way. I think Vitalis Aaron named her after his wife. So you can play with the nice Sandra, or you can play with the mean Sandra. I like mean Sandra. Well, mean Sandra makes for a little bit of a of a grittier game. So nice Sandra, basically, when she goes to a department, she's going to look at the person who is the most well-trained in that department. And then if that person has... Like, so, for example, in the assembly line department, she's looking to see how many cars you have in your garage. And if you have the requisite number of cars and you're the most trained, then you'll get some bonus points uh, that you can spend uh, and and get some points that way. So the mean Sandra, the mean boss is works the opposite, where she's going to go to the, de- the department and pick on the person who has the least amount of training in and that you department. Lose and if you, if you don't have the requisite number of things, then like Emily said, you will lose points based on based on what it is that she's about. Isn't it bank shifts? Yeah. So during the game, one of the resources that you have is you can actually um, bank shifts, um, so that you you can use them as kind of like overtime, so that when you are um, performing actions, you can spend your bank shifts to do extra actions that turn as well. But when Sandra is either looking to give you points if she's nice or subtract points if you're mean, she looks at the number of bank shifts you have, and that number is usually how many points you're going to either gain if she's nice, or she looks at five minus the number of bank shifts you have, and that's how many points you lose if she's mean. So if you have three shifts banked and you have to lose points from mean Sandra, Five minus three is two, so you would lose two points essentially. So there's kind of a balancing act in in using those bank shifts because you want to use them for the extra actions, but by the same t- token, if you can stock enough of them up so that you have at least five at all times, then me and Sandra can't do anything to you, even if uh, even if she comes around to your department and wants to pick on you a little bit. But Sandra is going to move um, from department to department as each turn goes by she also kind of um messes with that department in some way which you have to be ready for so like when she gets to the parts department for example she wipes yeah she wipes a lot of the parts of the warehouse same thing in the design right yeah she blows up all the different designs and completely restructures those so you have to be aware of those things um but eventually sandra will end up back in the administration department so after the round in which she's in administration um you have what's called an end of week scoring phase where you're going to look at all the car designs that you've upgraded so you're looking at designs that you've gotten better parts for and you're going to score points based on cars that you have in your garage that match the color of designs that you've upgraded sounds a little confusing without showing it to you i know Um, but basically you want to be able to get cars that match colors of 
designs that you are making better as the game goes along. Um, the There's another type of scoring as well, and this one's kind of the big one in the game because you're going to have a number of different meetings throughout the game. Um, and when you have a meeting, when that gets triggered, players are going to go to the boardroom, basically, and you're going to have a number of seats. Um, you start the game with one, but you can earn more seats as you go throughout the game. Um, and basically what the seats do is they give you a chance to speak at the meeting and speaking at a meeting gets you points. Mm -hmm. So each round, um, there's four meeting goals that are available publicly. And each player also has a hand of three of them as well. Um, the rule is you have to take one of those meeting topics and you have to speak on one of them during your turn. You don't have a choice. Even if it's not something that can benefit you, you have to spend at least one of your cards out of your hand and speak to that meeting. And then essentially the meeting works with players going around um, speaking on stuff. So like if I have a card that rewards you for being certified in the testing department, then I can play that card and use one of my seats to activate that card and it'll get me a number of victory points Depending based on, on the how condition. many times you're allowed to use it, right? Right, right, right. So... Essentially, you're using your seats at the meeting um, to benefit yourself by speaking on topics that will earn you the most points. Um, you have to be careful here because you want to be prepared for the meetings because if you're if you're left with your pants down, then you could, you know blowing a potential major scoring opportunity mm -hmm. by not getting these cards out. So when the meeting's over, the public cards get wiped, and then the players are actually the ones who determine what the public topics will be. Next round, you play another card out of your hand face down, and then they get revealed so that players can see what the meeting topics will be throughout the game. Those are the two major ways that you score points through the game. Um, you're going to keep playing through multiple rounds of the game until you've had a combination of three of either weekly scorings or meetings and two of the other. So basically, you'll always do at least three of one type of scoring and at least two of the other type of scoring for the game to end um, when the game's over, you're going to take you're going to look at an, a variety of different end game bonus points um, that can be scored uh, through various things like the tested designs that you have. Or there's also a end game bonus scoring tile that you can use your leftover seats for to get points that way. Um, whoever has the most points, of course, at the end of the game is going to win. Very complex game to explain, um, especially for someone who's not looking at it. I hope I did a sufficient enough job so you guys can kind of get a general understanding of how the game plays. Um, but we'll go on from there. So one thing that, I, uh, that I'd that i like to start doing when we do these two-player reviews is kind of explain the differences in the rules uh, when you're playing with two players. Because some games have very different rules when you play with two uh, compared to when you play with higher player counts. I wouldn't know. He's the rule book reader. I am, I am the rule book guru. Um, Kanban, unfortunately, doesn't have too many rules that change with two players. Um, the first thing is the length of the pace car track is shortened with two players. Um, the pace car track is what's, is what's used to determine when meetings happen, so this makes sense. If you didn't shorten that track, then you'd have to get a lot more cars before meetings would take place and the mm -hmm. game would go on. A heck of a lot longer than it needs to. Um, fewer bonus seats available in the game. Pretty obvious why those seats are very important commodities. There should be a lot of competition over them. Um, the biggest thing that changes with two players is when Sandra visits the design department, when you're playing with three or four players, um, of the eight designs that are available, Sandra will delete the first four in line, essentially, and then they get refilled. 
Well, in the two-player game, she actually takes out all eight and, and completely refills the design department. So if you're not looking for this, um, if you if, if you don't anticipate this coming, it can actually really royally screw plans that you might be creating for yourself down the road. So those are the only differences with two players, uh, the only major differences, I should say. Um, doesn't affect the gameplay too much. It's th- These are more changes that are made to make the game make more sense um, with you know more competition for the different bonuses and stuff like that. So what, what we typically see, and, and that's typical of most Vitalis Arity games. So moving on from the rules explanation, um, what do we like about Kanban? Uh, I like the production value. I mean, mm-hmm. I love the board. Everything's so detailed. I mean, I just, I love it. Um, this game, I really, I really dig the, the thinkier games, mm-hmm. as I call them. And this one, like you said, forces you to think several turns ahead and somebody can screw with your plans and just completely blow that up and you have to try and scramble to figure out something else but you got to make sure you're not showing them that you're shaking in your boots Hmm. which apparently i'm good at (laughs) yeah um yeah i I like how i like how every department influences every other department see and that's another thing yeah every single department matters you cannot ignore a department Mm. and 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 sometimes there can be lots of competition between the different things like if there's a particular color of car on the testing track that you really want to get, but your opponent has also been upgrading that car with different, you know, upgraded parts. It's gonna be tough to do. Like you might have to come in and, and take the lesser. So the way that actions are done, you go department by department, but you work left to right. And the left space is, has fewer action points available than the right space, but you get to go first if you're both working in that department. So like, if you see that your opponent um, might be grabbing that car that you really need. Um, you can you can kind of step in front of them so that you have the opportunity to get it first. Um, which yeah, this this game does have quite a bit of direct interaction with your. That's opponent. what I said yeah. for for being such a large board and for having so much to do. There is a lot lot of interaction in this one, mm-hmm. even with two. Yeah. Um. What else do you do you like with Kanban? <sighs> I don't know. I just, I really just enjoy the gameplay. I really, really do. Yeah. I like how the, um, how the, for the meetings, uh, mm-hmm. the public goals are determined by the players. So you can try to put something out that, you know, won't, you know, you can pay attention to what your opponent's doing and put something out that they're not going to benefit from at all, but you probably can work towards, um, throughout the game. So I like that sort of competition in there. Um, I do enjoy the having to deal with Sandra as she goes yeah, along. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I prefer like we played our very first game with nice Sandra. Mm. And then after that, we've only played with mean Sandra because it just it makes things a lot more interesting. It makes mm. things more competitive, I think. Yeah. You know, makes the testing tracks matter a lot more, too. Yeah, for sure. Well, like I said, you cannot the, the knowledge tracks. I, I like that you just it's not one of those ones where you can just focus on one thing and mm. and win you cannot focus on just one thing otherwise you will lose terribly yeah you need to make sure that you pay attention to each and every department yeah yeah i remember i remember when we first started playing this you didn't really do a lot of uh design upgrades mm-hmm. and i remember i killed you like the first two games because i was getting tons of points whenever we did the end of week scorings and mm-hmm. you weren't getting anything because you weren't doing anything to 
upgrade the designs. Like you were getting lots well, like of cars. Like I said, it's yeah. one of those ones where you have to kind of feel it out. Mm-hmm. It might take a couple games to feel it out and figure out a good strategy. And with this one, I've tried several different ways, and uh, mm. they several of them have been successful. You know, for me. So moving on to things that uh, we don't like so much about the game. This is a really tough one to introduce to people mm-hmm. um, because it is the board is very busy, a lot going on. Um, you can kind of your eyes will cross when you first look at it. Uh-huh. And it's a tough game. I mean, I, and, and this probably came through a little bit when explaining the rules, but it's a difficult game, not only to explain how the gameplay works, but it's a really difficult game to explain how scoring works. And I think that any game where it's, where it's challenging to describe how you score points and therefore how you win is always hard to teach because that's the most important thing to tell a player about when, when you're teaching a game is, Hey, here's how you win the game. But there's so many different ways that you can score points in this game and not intuitive ways to do it either. Um, so it's a really challenging game to teach. I remember the first time that we played, um, my brain melted. Yeah, it took you a little longer than, than it, it usually normally does, does to yeah. kind of pick up the flow of play. But you know what? The second time we played it, like it clicked by the end of the first game, it finally clicked with me and I was like, okay. But then, like I said, it took me like two or three more games that we played to kind of hit my stride and figure out my best course of action or mm-hmm. courses of action. Cause there are many different ways that you can win in mm-hmm. this game. Um, what else don't you care for? <sighs> Well, I think, you know what, I, I, I know something I don't like for sure. Mm. Those extra little cards that they have with the, uh, you have X amount of designs out on the board mm. and stuff like that. I don't feel like they're necessary. Mm. I think they're necessary to get seats. What what Emily's referring to is there's these, um, there's these little bonus spaces that are on the board as well where... Um, there's a low number and a high number and it. it's it's around a uh, number of certifications that you have it's around the number of cars that you have in your garage and the number of upgraded designs that you have um if you're the first among the first people to do the low number like let's say that you know the the low number is two upgraded designs the first person to achieve that gets a seat for the meeting and then the high number might be four upgraded designs and the first person to achieve that gets another seat for the meeting essentially i think where the problem runs with those is that usually if you're the first person and, and in a two player game, there's only one seat on each of these tiles and in higher player counts, there's more seats available. But in a two player game, if you're, if you're the first person to get the upgraded design bonus, where if you get, the, you know, you have two upgraded designs and you're the first person to get it. So you get a seat. That's great. You're also probably going to be the first person to get the higher number bonus as well, because you're the one that's already kind of ahead of the game in that regard. So I, I definitely feel where you're coming from. With the certification thing. It's just, it, it seems, it does. It seems a little unnecessary. Um, That's my, just me, though. My only other critique, too, especially, and this is especially with the Mean Sandra variant, which is how Emily and I primarily play, by the way, um, is with that, is the bank shift. So, like I said, um, Mean Sandra, when she evaluates you, takes the number, when if, if you don't meet her requirements, She's going to look at the number of bank shifts you at, at she's going to t- deduct five points from you. And then you, you don't have to suffer one of those points for each bank shift that you have up to five, essentially. So 
really what ends up happening, especially with the mean Sander variant where she takes away points and you don't gain them, is that there is really no incentive for you to ever have less than five bank shifts yeah. in your bank because you want to make sure that you're not losing those points as you go along. So what will happen is you'll get to five bank shifts and then you're only going to use your bank shifts in excess of five, essentially. So it makes bank shifts, I don't want to say less valuable, but they kind of aren't used for their intended purpose. And I guess I appreciate, you know, Vital including that as a way to mitigate those lost points. But at the same time, like, I want to use those bank shifts for actions. I don't always want to use them to just avoid points. I think if you had made it so that you have to lose five points either way um, in that department and then maybe mitigate. Like, I think that would make the emphasis on the training track a little bit higher mm-hmm. um, and have I can agree competition that. for that. So that's the only thing I never like is because, like I said, you like you get the five bank shifts and then, yay, once you get more than five, I can actually spend some of these. But I never want to spend them unless I at least have five just so that when I, I don't want to get dinged. Right. Um, by the mean boss while she's running around doing her stuff. So that's I didn't care for that too much yeah. in the game as well. So why why is this game a good two player game? What what works really well with two players? Um, honestly, I think like I, I I don't know what it is. It's just you would think for like I said before for such a large board for so many different things to do. Mm. It has a lot of competition for spots Mm -hmm. because like you said, if there's a department that you absolutely need to go to, but then your opponent gets there first, you're like, hmm, now what do I do? You know what I mean? mean? There's only there's only 10 action spots to pick each round on the board and Sandra's going to be in one of them usually. Mm -hmm. Um, And then each department only has two. So like I, you know, like I said earlier, if you both need to work in the same department at the same time. It could be kind of hairy, especially if Sandra's there, because then she takes up her. Spot oh, yeah, and then, she's there. And then the other person takes it and then yeah. you're, you're done. Um, I think it works well, too, because and this is funny that I'm going to say this because normally I like having more control over the game. Um, but there's a little bit more randomness in the two player game just because. So, like, when you set out the goals for the next meeting, each player is only contributing one goal. The other two are randomly determined by the game. So you can't completely, you know screw over your opponent in that regard. Right, um, so but I you kinda, can try to a little bit. Yeah, you can try to mitigate it somewhat. Um, the seats, the competition for seats in the game, because those, those, the, oh, yeah. the meetings are super important, because the meetings Shoot, you can easily score. the competition score. for cars in the game yeah, is, is also kind of crazy. Like crazy yeah, the, re- the resource competition, I think, really works well. And I can imagine it would be even only more so with four players. But at the same time, if if you're playing with more players then more people are doing those actions and kind of moving that stuff along as well. So maybe it wouldn't be as difficult as I think. But yeah, with two players, like it, you got to really pay attention to what the other guy's doing mm-hmm. to make sure that you don't get lost in the fray when you're trying to do that kind of stuff. Yep. So moving on to stuff that's not not so good with two players. Um, but, so Emily did say that there is competition for the action spaces, and this is true. But in the two-player game, the administrative department where you can – work in any other department that's there like i said as a fail safe in case all the action spaces are occupied for the department that you want to work in i think is almost useless yeah we we just about never use the administrative department i think the one and only time that i did 
Um, was well, just to get cert. Like the only reason you use is to get certified I, in that I, department. I think I maxed out certifications in every department that game, and that's how mm-hmm. I won. Yeah, like like seriously, the only reason to go there is just to train in that specific department. Mm-hmm. And I feel like every time that I do it, it's almost like a wasted turn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I understand. So yeah, so I, I that's so the one thing that you miss out there with two players is is the is that that department is completely useless, pretty much. Um, some people have said that it's too easy to get the action that you want in the two player game. I I agree with that. But at the same time, the competition to still do the action first is often still there because, again, a lot of these actions, you've you got to be the first in to, to get the biggest benefit from it. Right. Um, so I think that's still there with two players. I, I will say that it very rarely am I ever shut out of the department that I want to be in, though, with the two-player games. There's yep. a little bit less crunchiness, I guess, with two. Um, I still love it. Oh, it's oh, I do as well. I think the only other flaw with two is that the some of the meeting cards. So the meeting cards, um, the reason that you want to be first to them is because so let's say there's a meeting card that can be used three times um, for the first player that uses it. So when you put your seat down, use it, use it three times, and you get the maximum points. The next player that comes in and uses that card can only use it twice, and then the next player for that that comes in can only use it once. The meeting cards in the game are really very rarely will both players not enjoy the maximum benefit from the card if they're both using it as well. So that's that's the only other gripe that I'd say I have with two players. So we've gone through the rules. Um, we've gone to what we like, what we dislike about it, what works well, what doesn't work well with two. Would you recommend Kanban Automotive Revolution to two players? And if so, who would you recommend it to? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I would recommend it to those who are more well-versed in their tabletop gaming because mm. it is a heavier game mm. in my opinion. Like I, like I said, this one, first time we played it was a brain drain for me. Yeah. And I still feel that way sometimes when we play just because I'm trying so hard to think like, you know, three, four turns ahead mm. of what I'm going to do. But yeah, so... I would recommend it, but only to more experienced gamers. If you're just starting out in tabletop, don't yeah, oh do God, this. No, It'll be like will you will the board. <laughs> you will like want to crack your skull open. Um, I would recommend it to heavy gamers as well. Um, if you if you primarily play two players, it's still solid. It's probably I'm trying I'm I'm thinking back through Vitalizator's different designs. I think of his games. Maybe the Gallus works slightly better with two players, but I think this one is 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 actually still the best with two players. But Vitalisera tends to design games that work really well with three or four, and and slightly less well with two, um, based on popular experience. But there's still not a game of his that we haven't played that we don't really enjoy. Um, so yeah, Kanban, I would recommend it with two. Like Emily said, heavy gamers only. Um, it's definitely worthwhile checking out. This was the first of his games that we played. And after we played this, it made me want to run out and grab all of his other games as well. And we did like, we have, we have all the games that he's published so far. Um, and, and he's one of our favorite designers. And this was the game that kind of got started for us there. So yeah, combat, very cool. I think the thing I like about it the most is that it really does tie. It, it feels very thematic. Like what you're doing is very, oh, yeah. you know, 
you're working an assembly line and you feel like you're working an assembly line because you're going to each different department and, mm-hmm. you know, pushing the cars out and then testing the cars. And yeah. Yep. It's very cool. So a lot of fun. So yeah, that's Combat Automotive Revolution. Um, thumbs up from us. Mm-hmm. Give it a look-see and uh, and check it out. And let us know what you think about it as well yep. um, by talking to us on Facebook and Twitter about that. Um, so that's it. Nice long show for you guys today. Um, we thank you for listening. Um, you know, check us out every two weeks is when we record. Um, next week or next time we record, we'll have a bunch of other new games um, and some other main topic as well. Uh, don't forget too that we are a member of the Nerdpocalypse Studios network of shows. Um, check out all the other shows in the network, including the Nerdpocalypse. Black on Black Cinema, Dense Pixels, and Mouthful of Toast. There's also a premium membership that you can purchase for $5 a month or $50 a year. Uh, if you have that, every week you'll get a new episode of Look Forward, the political podcast. You'll get an episode of The Airing of Grievances. Um, and then every month you'll get an episode of No Time to Bleed and The Men with the Golden Tongues, uh, which is our new James Bond long-form review mm-hmm. podcast that I host, along with Micah from Dense Pixels and Black on Black Cinema and Nerdpocalypse and all the other shows that he does as well that man does a lot of shows yeah in the network um just a reminder from us again as well um facebook and twitter you can find us and instagram uh at tabletop for two for all those and again if you enjoy the show uh please click subscribe um we would really appreciate that also check out our twitter feed um the apocalypse studios network kind of put out a call to action um with other podcasts and and fans of our shows as well. Um, in case you haven't heard, in Flint, Michigan, um, they're having a serious crisis um, with their water supply mm-hmm. down there. Um, I know that we ponied up a hundred bucks out of our pockets uh, to donate to the folks down there to help them out with that, um, because this is something that can happen in every state in the country. Um, yeah. It can happen to you, or it can happen to someone you know. Um, again, if you have money to spare, if you can spare a few bucks to help these people out, um, make sure to check out the website for that. You can find it in our tweet that we tweeted out. Uh, we would really appreciate because, like I said, we on a lot of other shows we do talk about a lot of topical stuff and a lot of news of the day sort of thing, pop culture that sort of thing so we thought it'd be cool to uh to kind of put out a call to action to see if we can uh, put help your money where your mouth is yeah. kind of a thing absolutely so yeah like i said you can if you can uh do that uh the hashtag that we created was podcast for flint um so again if you can help us out there really would appreciate it. i'm sure the people up in uh up in flint would appreciate it as well mm-hmm. um so that's all that we have for you this week uh thanks again for listening uh we will check you guys a little bit later on talk to you later bye <laughs>